Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Build an Iconic Life. I'm here with Dina McKellop, and I'm telling you what, you need to stay tuned. This lady has a couple F-bombs she's going to drop and some serious knowledge, but we'll be right back. Welcome to Build an Iconic Life podcast. I'm your host, Chris Whitehead, and this podcast is dedicated to help you build a life with zero regrets by focusing on how you have everything you need to stand up, stand out, and live life on your terms. Let's dive right in. Hey, Dina, how you doing? I'm great. How are you doing this morning, Chris? I'm doing really well. So you started a little podcast, huh? I sure have. Tell us what the name of that is. It is Fragmenters, and I put a lot of thought behind it. What I do is I interview women in predominantly male-dominated roles, and the goal is to empower other women to be in the roles, not to talk shit about men. That is not my aim. That is not going to get us anywhere. In order to create diversity and to build women up, we do have to work with men. Okay. You guys are in there. There are a few of us out here, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this, and this is kind of getting into who are you. Mm -hmm. Why is that such a passionate conversation to have for you? So my passion to empower women started probably in young adulthood for me. And there's twofold. I am all about empowering people specifically, but in the workplace women, because 17 years ago, I started my career at a gold mine in IT. Now these are, yeah, it's a very male dominated industry as well as role. And for a long time, globally, for the company that I worked for, I was the only woman in IT. All right. So I what was, are some of the things that happened to you? Um, They referred to me as token. I was the token woman for the tax write-off. I, um, I was called sugar tits in front of, yes, the safety manager referred to me as sugar tits and had me set up his computer for their safety meeting in front of the director of HR and so on and so forth. <laughs> and that, that didn't, that had no disciplinary action associated with it for calling you. No. So unfortunately, and I've been out of gold mining for about seven years now. So unless they've changed drastically in the last seven years, they are about 20 years behind with ethics, culture, that kind it's of just stuff. boys network kind of stuff. Oh, for sure. I mean, the first woman to the first woman to work in the modern um, facilities that wasn't just like coal mining. Um, I think was in the 80s. They actually had a movie about her. So it's very new for women to work in mining. What are some of like, just not even in just your particular profession, but some of the, the reason I'm going to ask this. So, you know, Robin and I are both 49. I love this woman. Like, like she farts rose blossoms. Like I love this woman, <laughs> you know? And in the process of doing it, I started to realize that I'm more of a bigot than I thought I was. Like, that's part of growing up, you know? And I realized sometimes I would say disempowering things, not even knowing that that was a hot button. You're, you're kind of attacking that subject matter head on. What are some of the things that really fuel why you want people to be more educated? I think I might know some of them, but I want to hear it straight from your mouth. There's a lot of ignorance surrounding. A, we live in a patriarchal society still. Mm -hmm. um, it's very quickly, and it's been a long time coming. Um, balance, harmony is starting to come into fruition from people just like you brave enough to do it. Um and be outspoken about it but we still live in a patriarchal society where if you want to kick a woman out it is not difficult on any level to do it <laughs> i'm just trying to get you ramped up a little bit so <laughs> what's, the, what's the 
what are some of the things you've seen that really fuel this passion behind you of this mistreatment of people that are supposed to be equal, but aren't? So I actually, with my podcast, there are a lot out there that discuss this. And part of my issue and why I was so passionate and decided to pursue this is because when when you have podcasts that are women empowering and you spend most of your time discussing the issues that have come up and the things that men say wrong and that men have done this to me, essentially you're handing the microphone back to the men without them being in the room. So my podcast, I can talk about it with you, but we discuss the reasons women should be in. And, you know, occasionally we'll bring up, you know, where you were passed over for a raise. Like I, I train hired and trained three men and they were promoted to my supervisor at the gold mine before I decided to leave because it wasn't for me. So, you know, stuff like that does happen, but essentially I want to give women the voice. And I think that's where part of the issue is, is even men who are very, obviously you have me on this podcast. It's very progressive for you to be even open to have this conversation with me. So you are not, you are trying to do better, but if you only hear from men or if you hear from the women and only hear about the men, that doesn't give women their voices. And until more women have their voices out there and are seen in these positions of power, it's not going to change. Like one of the things that I talked about with a woman is she's an actress and she brought up the fact that there are very few, if any, main movies or tv series where a woman is president and right and what do you hear like when hillary clinton i am not saying i would have voted for her or i would not have i'm just bringing her up because she was a potential candidate Mm -hmm. um when hillary clinton was running all a lot of people would say things like she doesn't seem very presidential And that is because systemically and societally, you do not see women in these roles. When you do see them in the TV, they're very masculine in the way they're dealing with issues, by the way. I've also noticed, because I'm thinking of a few movies that I've seen. It's not women being all of woman. It's women having to work in a man's world because it's only one woman, the president, and then everybody else in the council is a man. Everybody in the war room is a man. So in by default, she's a woman acting like a man. That's right, it's way so, it's like it makes it more acceptable almost, right? Yes. Well wow. and societally that's how it had to happen. Um, for women to get anywhere initially. And we're talking about, you know, the 50s, 60s, where they were just coming up. For me, I am so grateful for the work that they did. And I actually have a book here on my my bookshelf. It's The Daring Book for Girls. And it came out in like the 60s. And it is the most sexist thing I have ever seen. And I actually like to read it because I'm like, this is the shit that my parents had to deal with. It's just that recently. But the women who were brave enough to do this, they had to deal with so much garbage. And they had to, one, fight for that position. Because at that time, not now, but at that time, if there was a seat at the table, there was one. And you had to beat the shit out of every other woman trying to fill that seat because that was it. Now, I feel that there's a shift happening that we understand that it's not just one seat. We do have to work hard and we do have to earn our way there. But because of the work of the women and the supportive men ahead of us, we can uplift each other and bring it so that it's a more equal opportunity. We don't have to beat the shit out of each other while we're, while we're scratching our way to the top to fill that one seat. I agree. Um, You know, for about a decade now, I've been putting Robin out on social media, predominantly in my social media, well before I was doing anything marketing and iconic and um, all of that kind of stuff. 
for one reason only. I mean, Robin came from a previous marriage where things didn't work out as good as they could have. But she had some self-image to to rebuild. And I realized that I saw this beauty in her. And, and you know, God just gave me a gift. That's my gift. I see things in people and I'm able to f- start a fire and lift them up. We all have different gifts. That's mine. Mm-hmm. So I started putting her out on social media. Well, when when I joined this large networking organization, became the director of coaches for it, the the top brass started, you know, seeing me putting pictures of Robin in a bathing suit out. And they're like, yeah, we've all seen her ass and da da da. It's like, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing my point entirely. Um, I'm not doing this for y'all, although I get some juice out of it because everybody stops and looks at a cute ass and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, I'm doing this because I live with her and, and I get to see little incremental beliefs that she's creating that are getting her to step out of her comfort zone to find out how she can become iconic. Mm-hmm. I believe in iconic. I believe in it. Everybody on my iconic team except me as a woman. I've got oh, wow. s- yeah, there's seven of us, me and six ladies. It ain't always fun and I don't run much. <laughs> so, <laughs> leave it that way. But it's the feedback. It's the feedback of where I know we're going as a society, where we're going um, evolutionary. This must occur. And I have plenty of the guy's knowledge. I'm a guy's, I'm a guy's, I'm a kind of an alpha dude. I'm not a beat myself in the chest monkey alpha dude. I don't have to. I've, I've always kind of said, if you have a big dick, you don't have to tell everybody you have a big dick. Um, it's true. I, I'm, I'm trying to, but it's, it's, yeah. And Robin and I've sat in bed and kind of laughed about that. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't need to do that. In fact, um, in, in, in one particular faith, um, a dude was lying on the side of the road and, the preacher wouldn't, or the pastor wouldn't even stop for him, but some dude named the good Samaritan who doesn't even believe in the same God does the, the, the godly thing. And it's like all these labels, all this talking, why can't we step back 50,000 feet and just look at what's actually happening? The women run so many things, take zero credit for it. They are the go givers of life and society in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> And it doesn't take away from your manliness for a woman to be a real woman. And here's been my experience. Do my wife and I have such an intimate relationship that I didn't even know existed as a dude. We talk about things, laugh about things and do things that I could not do with a dude and feel comfortable and it's the it's one of the biggest blessings in my life to have this relationship where i want to discover more and more and more and more and more of that and so this harmony between masculine and feminine energy we're doing ourselves a travesty if we don't allow women to realize how very very powerful they are because what i don't want to do is fight women mm-hmm. when well, women when- get I know, that's what I was getting ready to say. When women get really angry, the guys don't win. The women do. And that's why. So it's like all roads are pointing to what you're doing. Either get on board with it or deal with being in fourth place eventually. That's how I truly see it. So with all that stuff that I just shared, mm-hmm. tell me about what your experience has been. You're married. You've dealt with a lot of dudes. You have obviously stepped back and become passionate about this. It doesn't, you're on a guy's podcast, so you're not a feminazi, whatever that label is. How did you find this balance and how do you keep it so that it's all kosher? Talk about all that. Bro therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I love it. Self-discovery. Yes, exactly. I mean, I had a really terrible childhood and I, my coping mechanism was to become the perfectionist, the people pleaser. And I ended up falling into an IT position, which is very male dominated. And I embraced that 
role of the woman that just did absolutely everything. I literally was asked to clean toilets and go get coffee. And I did it because that was just the mindset. And I was so beat down and torn down. Like you were talking about how you've put Robin out there and watched her grow. I've had to go through that as well. You didn't help me with that, but <laughs> I have had support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went from this completely, I don't even remember the word for it. It's so, so foreign to me. Um, docile, completely docile. Yes. Submissive. That's literally the word I was looking for. Um, I went from this super submissive role and I, I would work for 90 hours a week. I would, I remember missing my son riding his bike for the first time. I miss parties. I, I miss so much and gave so much to this company. And then I think I worked there 10 years and about six, seven years in, they did a quote unquote reorg and they demoted me and took 10% of my pay after me giving them blood, sweat, and tears for years and years. And so my give a damn broke. <laughs> I went from 90 hour weeks to I walked in about 15 minutes late every day and left right at five. We shit would be on fire. Our servers would be down. We would have a safety issue because the pit might be falling and they couldn't monitor it. Five o'clock rolled around. I'm like, bye, <laughs> because they burned me so bad. I know that it sounds bad, but I am incredibly grateful they did because now my boundaries with work mm -hmm. are ex they're they're amazing. Like nobody has more firm boundaries than I do. So that is one of the reasons that I've gone into it. I was married to another man at that time and it it wasn't working out at all. And my son was having issues with school. We were in Nevada, which at the time was the worst state for education. And he was in the worst school in the state. So he was literally in, he, I say, he, yes, my <laughs> son and daughter were in the worst school in America. So I started throwing out applications and I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Not just out of here, but out of the state. So that's how I ended up in Idaho. I sent out like 75 applications and this was the first one that gave me, it was 50 cents less than I said I needed, but it was close enough that I was willing to take the risk. So I up and moved my kids to Idaho to a town I didn't know anyone, a state I'd never been, and started my career at a nuclear laboratory, which is where I work today. And... Oh, just a nuclear laboratory. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so when so I don't started, piss off, folks. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have uh, the key or whatever they use. I don't have the red button. <laughs> we we all saw the Matthew Broderick movie. It was a uh, War Games or something like that. Did you, you go from IT to a nuclear power plant? That's a dangerous mix to piss somebody <laughs> off. I'm just well, saying. I work. Yeah, I work IT at the nuclear lab. Oh, so. even, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I moved here. <laughs> yeah. I moved here, um, got my kids moved. We were going through a divorce as I moved to a new state. Oh. It was an incredibly tumultuous time. Um, my kids hated me because they left the state that they loved. They didn't understand, or the town that they loved. They didn't understand the reasons why we moved until later. Of course, kids don't. But the first summer, they spent the entire summer with their dad because he was still in Nevada. And it was the first time I had been alone with myself ever. I had my daughter mm. at 17 years old. Mm. So I was 29, 28, 29, Holy and it was the first time, yeah, it was the first time I'd been alone going through a divorce somewhere where I didn't know anyone. You weren't and scared? No, not at all. I'm, yeah, I was petrified. <laughs> so I realized that I didn't know myself. I was a mother 
I was in IT. I was a wife. And all of that had been stripped from me within a six-month period. So I had to... So you didn't find... know you didn't know anything about you, 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 you. These were all these roles that probably were put into you as a young person that you had to yeah. fulfill. Yes. And they all got taken away yep. at the same friggin' time. Yeah. I mean, I even I was sister. I'm so close to my siblings and they were gone. I I just I was alone for the first time. So I had to figure it out. I signed up for a softball team. I'd wanted to do one for years. My husband at the time, he wasn't all about it. So I went and met people. That was one of the scariest things I'd ever done <laughs> was going and playing softball with a bunch of people I don't know. And then by the end of the summer, I was at one of my lowest points and I actually texted and messaged called all my loved ones, friends reaching out for help. And luckily the man I married to now responded because I wouldn't be here if he hadn't. I had sent out my farewells and I was just convinced at the time that it would be better for everyone if I exited. Holy shit. Yeah. So gratefully, he called me. We weren't even dating at the time, but he was the only one that replied. And he's like, hey, sorry it took so long. I was doing laundry and I was like just a devastating mess. But it got me here to where I am today. And I had started making a further exit strategy. And I didn't think that I would last to it because I had a um, financial goal to set, I had convinced myself that I was worth more dead than alive because of life insurance and all of that stuff. And I had to make a certain date and then my family would be set for the rest of my life. And I was so depressed and beaten down that I didn't think I would be able to reach that date. So I started therapy to hopefully get me to last that long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all right. Hey, whatever gets you there, man. You know, that's the way I look at it. That's cool. Yeah. So I started therapy and I was diagnosed with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm sure that you've heard of PTSD. A lot of war veterans have it. A lot of people who experience trauma. So yeah. the complex is usually for people who have childhood trauma or who have experienced something over a prolonged period of time. So say you have a kidnapped victim that was kidnapped and held hostage for years. Um, the difference between the C added to it is that with post-traumatic stress, you have this horrific event that get grooved into your mind and it affects you. You have, um, night terrors, you can have depression, you have anxiety, you have paranoia, you can, and this is can, you don't have to have all the symptoms. It's different for everyone. Um, you can be startled easily, you know, all the symptoms that you think of. The difference with the complex is that it, it's literally grooved different neural pathways in your brain so that I'll just explain it in my experience. It's not like everyone's, but if I had a minimal altercation, like someone raised their voice to me, my brain took it the same as if there was a lion chasing me. Like there was no differentiation between a small threat and a large threat. Physiologically, like they could, you could be monitored. Your heart would go up to 170 beats per minute. You would sweat you would freak out mentally about the whole experience, huddle up, whatever fight or flight response you have, yep. it got kicked on the highest level. And somebody just basically said, no, Dean, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's all it would take. A slight elevation in voice, a just, I don't know if we're on camera or not, but we just, are, we are. okay. Well, we are, this might be just audio for some people listening, but leaning in, just leaning in. Right. Just showing that I'm in. dominating a little bit. 
yeah, would be the equivalent of rearing up your fist about to punch me in the face. That was, I'll tell you, when I was diagnosed, most people hate getting a diagnosis. But I, when I went home and read more about it, I bawled. Because, yes, for the first time in my life, I had always been told that I was overly emotional, overly reactional, way too much. And now I knew why. I literally could not control it. It was a physiological reaction to this. So like I said, I started therapy, started doing EMDR, which is a way to reprocess and change your neural pathways so that you can react in a more sustainable way. Because mm -hmm. could you imagine living life at zero or a hundred, no in between? No. That's why, yeah, that's why I was such a fucking wreck. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. handle missing my kids for three months. It was devastating. So I went to therapy and it exponentially changed my life. I recommend it to everyone. I am not, I'm misspeaking. I am the same woman that I was, but now I'm every version of me i'm not the and you can choose you can choose that's the you have control over you where before it was almost like life had control over you oh for sure and i can understand why somebody would say i'm probably better not here i'm, I'm only going to cause problems mm -hmm. how yeah. fucking brave is that now the weirdest way to do it like look Listen, therapist, <clears throat> I only need you for four months, <laughs> but I'm really right. going to need you for four months. And your therapist goes, oh, really? <laughs> Let's dive into that. How long well, did, I, it, take? How long did uh, it take to help you become non-suicidal through that process? So I think it was about eight months before I had absolutely no suicidal ideations. And part of that is because you get into a habitual loop. So oh. you would get yourself worked up to a point and then habitually that thing in the back of your mind would say, all right, you know, you know where you should be. You know, it's not here. Even if you don't feel it, you know, it just by habit would come in and that little piece of your brain would tell you it's time to go. Was so that it took a, was about that a, eight months. Was it a freeing thing when it finally stopped, or were you already experiencing freedom through those eight months? Did you have to hold on for eight months, or did it start beginning progressively easier to 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 start thinking about your worth? As, as so being it's, it started getting easier. I don't know if you've ever been tested for it, but there is a entire checklist and you have to go through the numbers on where your symptoms are. And I think that the, the most symptoms don't quote me on this, but I think that a hundred percent you are always at max for your PTSD symptoms is about 85 to 90. And when I first started, I was ranked at 72. Okay. So all of my symptoms, I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night from night terrors. I would, you know, the startle response, like when yeah. you watch horror movies, yeah. I got that if someone was in the same room as me, I just, I was constantly on edge and throughout the process, it started diminishing and now I don't have symptoms at all. So it was a gradual process, but um, the suicidal ideations took about eight months before the first time it, I thought it and was like, oh, you don't actually mean that. But yes, it was a great, oh my gosh, the first time that I slept a week without being woken up and without my husband, he's a saint. He, I would wake up. And he would just grab me and hold me like a bear. Like, that's what I needed. I just needed to know that I was okay. And I would be screaming about stupid shit like a ghost coming in the room, you know. But it was it was always something. And he just knew instinctively to put his arm over me and to hold me and hug me as hard as he could. So he's definitely been a huge help. 
But the first time that I slept an entire week without any night terrors, without waking up, it was, oh, it was heaven. <laughs> Golly, it's, it sounds like it. And um, number one, I'm just, I'm really glad that serendipitously everything happened the way that it did yeah. for you to even be here talking to me. Number two, you're really fucking courageous, you know? <laughs> No, it's it's cool. It's really, really cool to hear where you pulled yourself from and how you've turned it into a purpose. Yeah. And something that I believe that transcends money for you. Just the way you're speaking about everything. Um, it's almost like, you know, I've been in personal development since I was 20, so it's almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um oh. And I don't know that I would have done it if I had known what door that opened when I did it, but I started asking questions and I literally haven't been able to stop. That's kind of, mm -hmm. that's personal development to me. Um, but I felt like I was a black Othello piece or let's call it white. I don't want to be judgmental, but I was an Othello piece. It's a game where it has black on one side, white on the other. And the game is, is to surround other colors that are opposite. And when you do it in a line, all those flip to your color. And so you win the game by absorbing more colors than everybody else. But I felt like I was a bad Othello piece for a long time. And I feel like I flipped over and I started realizing, Hey, life's not really just about Chris. Life is about what I do for everyone else. And I'm literally sitting here watching and hearing your story, which is amazing. Not in a great way. Amazing, by the way. Right. I it. think it's great. We haven't gotten to the good part. <laughs> well, I want to hear it, but you started to choose and life started to choose for you. I would call that God. Hey, I've got something else for you planned. And all you got to do is hang on. Cause for a while, that's all you probably could do. And now you're out here instead of absorbing, you're actually giving the person that was meant to give nothing is now actually giving everything. And I'm, that's humbling. That's iconic to me. That is truly iconic. So you you hinted at the, the good part. Shit. <laughs> Let me hear the good part. Well, I mean, starting off, the good part is I'm in remission. CPTSD never goes away. It is something that could pop up at any time because it's grooved into my brain. I've done sure. the work so that I know how to cope with it, but, but you have neurotransmitters that are just, they're fine. They can fire that way if they choose to, they don't go away. Yep. So, yep. I mean, being in remission is a fantastic one. <laughs> um, <laughs> since doing all of this work, I now know that everything I went through was for a reason everything I did. And it's really hard to explain it. But for most of my life, I was a victim. And I was a victim, like I was an actual victim. Mm -hmm. And then I got to a safer place where I was moving on with my life. But I still had that victim mentality because it's literally all I knew. Like, I was just speaking with my brother and Nick, my husband recently about the fact that when I grew up, I didn't know that my life was not normal. Like, mm. like, I didn't know I grew up in an abusive household. Where I grew up, it was a little tiny town, I think there's like 3000 people in it. And I lived on an army base which was a couple miles out of town. It was fully civilian run, but it was still built barracks style. We lived, you know, in that. So we were completely detached from town. Not only that, but we didn't have um, TV or radio for most of it. So we were just in our little tiny bubble. The couple friends that we had were kids that lived there that were close to our age. And we just ran into them at parks and played outside. So I didn't see other people's households. I didn't see the people on TV. And when we would watch movies and stuff, it was just TV. You know, I'm like, these are these happy families, but it's just movies. I had no yeah. idea until... I think it was sixth grade. I tried out for cheerleading and made it. 
And it was the first time I went to someone's house and spent a substantial amount of time and not just one person because there's always one off. But I started going to these girls' houses and I was like, like, these parents are nice. Like, they have so much. The big thing was the food. I was like, they have so much fucking food. And like, you can just you can just snack like they have snacks. They have that was obviously something that I had trauma around was food yeah. shortage. But that was when I started my rebellious stuff is um, because I realized that my life wasn't normal and trying to explain to people how you could grow up in such an abusive situation and not know that it's wrong is is a difficult task and i think that a lot of people get stuck in that because you know what you grew up with like you as chris whitehead having the past that you have there are some things that you just innately know you work in construction right Mm -hmm. your general contractor mm -hmm. so you know all of the other sub contracts contractors that you have to contact in order to get a job done mm -hmm. someone like myself who knows slight very little like i know the words of it i don't know you have to contact a plumber I right. don't know. You have to contact someone for drywall. They're not all the same person. But for you, you're like, yeah, motherfucker. Don't say you're going to work for me and you don't know to contact a plumber. It was exactly my experience, too, growing up. Um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was two. Mm -hmm. By the time I was 11, I was on a Trailways bus four hours every other weekend going to see my dad. Mm -hmm. I learned things riding a trailways bus that little boys shouldn't learn and <clears throat> nothing, nothing sexually maligned happened to me, but a lot of scary shit, mm -hmm. a lot of really scary people ride trailways buses back in the day. And, you know, I never got to hang out with friends at home because I'm, I'm kind of always in between. So then I got into sports and I started learning this competitive streak in me was to beat other people at things. I thought it was normal. So, you know, Robin and I get together and, you know, those aren't my two children and we're raising them. And even the way she's acting as a mom, it's like, you're spending too much time with them. You're loving on them too hard. You're, you're being their friend. You're, and my mom was a good mom to me, mm. but my trauma was, um, until just a few years ago, creating memories and traditions, like fuck traditions, fuck memories, fuck all that. Dina, now like it, it, I can start crying just thinking like it opened up to me. Like I enjoy traditions and memories with my family now, but like you, I didn't even know it was a thing mm -hmm. and don't get it. Don't get me wrong. We constantly got together for traditions with my family. We constantly got together to create memories. I was the instigator of many of those memories, but Chris through the trauma said, I'm going to throw all of that out. All of that is bad. And I think, many many people that are listening to this that are are going oh yeah no 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 if you think about it for a little while i bet you might not be able to identify with ptsd but there are a lot of people that are ignorant to what they're doing right now with their children and all they're doing is repeating a behavior albeit differently well my parents were poor so i'm rich you're still a fucking asshole yeah, <laughs> you're getting ready to create more rich assholes. Wonderful. That's what we need. So, no, it, it, go a little deeper into this thing. That's when I got when I was 20, I got into personal development and I just started asking questions. I didn't realize that I could choose what I wanted to be in life. That's how ignorant I was. Same. <laughs> I, I thought I had to do whatever the parents and the religious people in my home. Like, I thought I had to be something for other people. And I remember... And I'm not suggesting everybody else do this, but I smoked some weed one time and read a book called The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, MD. And he said, hey, you have a choice to make. You can be anything that you want to be in life. And it blew my And I'm in college. And it literally blew my mind. I didn't know what to do with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And all I said is, oh, my God, I am so fucked up. 
<laughs> I need help. And back in the day, man, psychology, all of these things that you're actually addressing head on, those were all things that I, it's like coming out of a closet, I would suppose, if, if you are, you know, sexually different than the norm. I felt like I can't go talk to a counselor about this. I can't go tell people about my mom or my dad. I can't talk about that. I don't know who I am. That's going to leave me exposed. And people that go to psychiatrists are because I'm fucking crazy, crazy people. I'm not crazy. I'm normal. Oh, you victim. So I would reverse all of the shit to just get me sitting still and going, I hate my life. And I was actually on a podcast yesterday with someone. And I said, you know, I thought I was depressed when I was 20. I thought seriously, like I'm depressed. I found out I was bored, bored, living the same bullshit story that was four sentences long my entire life for 20 some odd years Yeah. until I said, I can create a new story. And that's the whole emphasis of, of this podcast is to encourage other people to take a risk. What if you fail? You fail. And until you're dead, you're probably going to do it a lot more times. Do you want to fail a little bit to get no result? Or you want to fail massively toward your goal, your purpose, your desire, your dream in life? And even if I don't agree with it, I will still fucking support you because at least you're going for it. Right. Because who made me God? I don't know the truth. <laughs> I just know my version of it. And even that's up to question if you ask my wife. Like <laughs> on Monday, I'll say, this is the truth. And on Friday, I'll go, oh, that was wrong. This is the truth. <laughs> it is what it is. I think that's what you were talking about through this process of you getting free. What the real win is from all of this work you were doing, learning that you had this condition. I don't, is it called a disease? I have Whatever. No <laughs> this condition that literally was in control of you. Mm -hmm. And not only did you start to take control of that in any way you can. And that's one of the things about boss ladies that are moms, by the way, it's like, man, do not get in a mama bear's way. But number two, you started being surrounded by people with similar core values that actually just wanted to love on you and help you, yeah. which probably had never happened in your life ever until you met no. your husband holy nope. shit yeah so it, on, what else are the wins tell me a few more we don't have much too much time left oh my gosh i just been blobbing away <laughs> no i love it um i mean one of my biggest wins is you just touched on it is the people i'm surrounded by today like i wake up and this morning we had an all hands meeting we own we now own a dry cleaner and laundromat. We had an all hands meeting. It's something that the majority of our employees have never experienced in their life because unfortunately in the capitalistic society we're in, the owners and bosses are the important ones, mm -hmm. which I vehemently disagree with mm -hmm. because I don't know how to dry clean shit. Like, <laughs> I would throw away a shirt with a stain on it. I can't get that shit out. I, I don't know how to do any of this, but because of these individuals that work for us, we have this business. They are key. And that You're is for, right. That is for every business out there. And one of my goals is to change the business culture. And the only way to do that is to get in. But I digress. We're in this all hands meeting and we're telling them about the things that we're doing. We're very, one of our core values is integrity, um, which means we're very transparent with our financials, which is something that I believe a lot of companies should do and don't. Yep, we do. Yep. You are. Um, yep. We were super excited. We've owned the business for three months now. We've hired on four more employees. When we purchased it, it was in the negative and we are now positive. Wow. So, 90 days. That's awesome. Yeah. It was not only that, but we've given five people raises and hired four people and we're still in the positive. But looking around at the people that showed up to this all hands meeting, being surrounded by, they all have the same core values. Like the ones that don't weeded themselves out. They just, they, they don't, they don't mesh and they weed themselves out. 
now I'm having this podcast with you and I admire how you put everything out there. You're not shy about it. We have very similar core values. My friends and family, those that didn't care for me are gone. Like they just either disappeared or I had to cut them bitches out because, you know, I got <laughs> some really sharp scissors. Yeah. But now if someone texts me, I'm excited. I don't have that anxiety. Yeah. I don't have any anxiety. I'm just You're building the, a beautiful life. Yes. Yeah, so having me get all, uh, yep. <laughs> it's just, really it's amazing. Um, not only that, I over tripled my income working at the gold or not the gold mine at the uh, nuclear facility. So I started out just in an entry level subcontractor position making $17 an hour. And I've now moved up. I am a lead over one of the organizations and I'm making six figures. Hell yeah. I've, I've uh, bought the dry cleaner. So my husband has now quit his job. He works for our businesses all on his own. We own another business. We're the leading distributors of used wine barrels in Idaho, in Idaho, Southeast Idaho. So we do that. And I had opened and had a business that failed and we had to close down. It was the first selfie studio in Idaho, but I'm still proud that I did that. And um, so it's, the people around me are fantastic. I know who I am. I, I take care of myself and that is, I'm still in therapy. Um, I'm actually working with a therapist on having an eating disorder. I told you I had trauma with food, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm working with a therapist on an eating disorder, but I also take care of myself. Like I tend to sway masculine. So I like to, I have my nails done. It is a reminder of using my femininity to advance myself and the people around me that it's actually a tool to use. So I just, I'm really fucking happy. That's all. <laughs> Ain't that all that it's really all about in the end? And that's what I learned too. Um, people want a feeling. They don't want stuff. Yeah. And so you can choose to have a feeling before you have stuff. And I, you know, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, coach a lot of them. And, but at the end of the day, consider how long the stuff makes you actually happy. And so then we start working on gratitude and the work that you're put willing to put in during peacetime. So you don't bleed during wartime is very, very true. And like you, for me, I chose to build my own beautiful life. And it's literally been the craziest trip because I've had so many people go, no, no, you should not do that. And I go, you need to go fuck yourself. Now, I don't say that to them, but I had to internally become strong enough. And that's how it came out in my own mind. And then I eventually just started saying, it's okay that you don't understand, but you don't have a right. And so it just got softer and softer and softer. And then I don't fight it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, because why? You're not going to, you're not going to stop me. This is my life. It could be done today as far as I know, but how grateful I am that I've had the experiences that I've had so far. Let's just keep making it better and taking care of the system so I can have more of those experiences, more of those memories, more of those traditions and possibly just possibly having an impact on someone else's life to make theirs a little bit better too, because I know how much it hurt when I had no other options that I could see. And I don't wish that upon my worst fucking enemy. I don't, I don't, it, it hurt that bad. And I hear you saying the same thing and I'm proud of you. And I'm so, so grateful that we had a chance to do this. Would you be willing to come on my podcast again sometime? A hundred percent. I am. Um, I think that there's some more conversations to have and let's have them privately and then get you back on here. Um, Dina, if, if people want to reach out to you right now, what's the best way they can? 
Lots of ways. I am on all the socials. I'm most frequently on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me by my name, Dina McKillop. And through Fragmenters, you can, I have Instagram, Facebook, TikTok for Fragmenters. It's D-E-A-D at Fragmenters.com. You can email me there and you can always listen to me on all your podcast platforms. We'll make sure that we get all of this information on the page when we share it um, so people can follow you because I think that they should. And I especially think um, I know quite a few empowered, empowered women. You do, too, because we've come from similar networks. Um, I want to hear that those voices and I want my wife and my daughter to hear those voices because um, I never I don't know about you. My first wife was a very wonderful, nice person. But it didn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. I don't want a woman to be behind me. I don't want her to be in front of me. I want her to be willing to stand beside me and fight her own fight and be equal to me because that makes me feel like I have a worthy relationship in my life. And that doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not behind her, sometimes in front of her, but the goal is to always bring it up. And and I think it's so needed and it's so needed to be done with a reasonable voice instead of this one where it's polarizing everyone. And that's what I hear you doing. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. This is freaking awesome because it means I can listen to it and not get butt hurt or butt singed by it. <laughs> or if I do, it might be a good clue to me instead of like having to fight through all the prejudices. So I appreciate the work that you've done so that you can bring a measured response to that. And um, yeah, we're going to do this again. We're definitely going to do this. Yay. again. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Check this podcast out. Make sure that you subscribe, leave a review, and more importantly, make sure you follow this woman. We're out. I'll see you in the trenches. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Hey, friend. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to catch future casts. If you really enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it so others can benefit from it as well. I'll see you in the trenches. Try to catch me howling at some more.